Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. You have brought us thus far. We just thank you. As we look to your word, we pray, Lord, the God of the word will also look upon us with favor, with kindness, with mercy. But touch our ears, our eyes, our hearts, that we may hear what you have to say, see as you see, believe as you believe, and speak as you speak, that we might be children, sons and daughters of God himself. Teach us your ways, show us your paths. Just come, Lord, every time we gather, we come that we might know you better, and become like you more and more, Lord. Change us from within in the image of your Son. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. As we study scripture, we remember we study scripture, we study scripture from different viewpoints, different sides, because like we said, it's an examination of our faith. Okay, it's a faith that has to be Examine because a believer's life begins at faith, from faith unto faith. It's an entirely a life of faith. Okay, like when I was just, just before coming here, I was just like shutting down my laptop and hearing the last words of another servant of God. And, uh, an interesting statement he said, he said, in Sunday school, you are taught David was sent to give, send to kill Goliath. But in church, you need to know Goliath was sent to David to show what was in him. Two different perspectives, okay? So, everything is an examination of our faith. Every challenge, every, every trial, every test, every giant you face is to show whether the God is in you is real or not. Whether what you believe is real or not. It's an examination of our faith. Because salvation begins from faith unto faith unto faith. And uh, though love is more important, it cannot come before faith. Everything else we saw on Sunday, knowledge, virtue, self-control, everything. But everything begins with faith. And like we, we know from uh, Romans 5 verse 1, faith is connected to righteousness. No faith, no righteousness. And the kingdom of God is the kingdom of righteousness. And we are, first thing that God does is, He declares us righteous. And where there is no faith in the absolute complete work of Jesus Christ, God cannot declare anybody righteous. We see in Romans chapter 5 verse 2, faith is intimately connected to grace. Where there is no faith, the grace of God cannot flow into our life. And it's the grace of God that does the work of God. Jesus said, have faith in God. So our faith why do we read the word? Because we believe God spoke this. Okay, God spoke. It's incredible that this God who exists beyond time, space, unimaginable God has spoken to us in this word and just left us with this word and his spirit, nothing else. Okay, and this is where we get to know God. But to know God, we need the Word and the Spirit. That's where Scripture says faith comes from, hearing. Hearing 
that hearing reveals the person of God. Sunday we saw about dead faith. Dead faith. Faith is dead. You are dead. You are a living zombie. Okay, you know zombies? Okay, and all these movies that are being made is actually spiritually true. There are a lot of zombies walking around, okay, spiritually dead. Then we saw certain situations will actually show that we have no faith. <laughs> Our reaction shows we have no faith. Then very little faith. And when it comes to little faith, we found the obstacles are fear, doubt, worry, and then Reasoning, human reasoning, and human reasoning. That's why you see, especially in the Western nations, they're not Eastern nations. Western nations, because they were Christian by culture, like most of the kids who go to college become atheists. They don't go to church anymore. Okay, the higher they are educated, the more liberal and you know, anti-Christ, anti-God they become, because human reasoning takes over and takes faith away. Okay, so please remember that it's good to study, but if your study is opposes faith, like I did, not like Pastor Vijay did, quit. It's not worth having a PhD that rejects God. That's a question I had to face. Do you want a doctorate which denies God? And I regret all my life because I can't even take my thesis back. It will sit in a library and it will be quoted by others and I will pull my hair out all of eternity that I went for something which uh, rejected you. Because that's the only way you go in higher education. You have to accept this, okay? But like in his case, it was science and it didn't use those theories. So pl please remember human reasoning. And then <coughs> we saw that God says, even you have faith as a little mustard seed, faith as a little mustard seed, how it can work. And we saw yeah, on Sunday from Second Peter chapter 1, we don't have to go there. If we add all these things, keep on adding virtue, knowledge, self-control, all these things and tighten it with love, we can make our election and calling sure that we do not even stumble in any way and we can receive a rich welcome. Rich welcome. Okay, rich welcome in the kingdom of God. So all these things are written over there. So, And we also know uh, from the previous teachings that faith keeps its eye primarily on the eternal, but also on the temporary. We are physical beings on earth, so on the temporary. So remember, God is a creator. And because he created us in the physical realm and this material world, he also provides us all the material things which we need. Okay. But because he's a spiritual being and when we got redeemed, we became spiritual, the spiritual takes over the material. It's not that he's discounting the material. If he was discounting the material, he would have said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, starve and die. He didn't say that. Did he say that? No, he didn't say that. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. So he is accepting because he created us. He knows that we live in a material, physical world. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul will say, I have fought the good fight. Okay, so please remember, when you think that's that's this, one of the major contradictions believers face is that they forget this, we like this life of faith, we like this walk of faith, without realizing both involves a battle of faith. Every day it involves a battle, it's a daily battle. Primarily, what are we fighting? Primarily, we are fighting sight. 
because the devil uses this material world which God has created, physical earth, and he created a material world in which we walk. So the every day he fights and he almost wins with almost everybody or most people to revert to sight. And God says, you have to fight this battle to walk in faith. Remember, sight and emotions are connected. Fear is an emotion. Okay, worry is an emotion. Anxiety is an emotion. Anger is an emotion. They are all emotions. Primarily, they are emotions. Okay, so sight and emotions and flesh, they are all connected. While doubt and reasoning are connected with the soul, with the mind. So he will use the emotions and the mind to get us back to, to walk in sight. And the man of faith has to, has to fight this constantly. This is only in the physical realm. Please remember, this is only in the physical, in the physical realm, in the spiritual realm, there is no confusion. James chapter 2 verse 19 says, you, no, no, you believe that there is one God? Good. So there, there is no confusion there. There's no theological confusion in the spirit. All the demons below they believe there is only one God and they are all terrified of God. Two, Revelation 12, 12 says, Satan knows his time is very short. He knows that also. So there is no confusion in the spiritual realm at all. God says, if you were to see the spiritual realm, actually see the realm, you will see who God is and who you see the demons are. And your faith will all fall into place. Okay, they know their time is very less. They know they're going to be destroyed. They know they will go to the lake of fire. They know they will be locked up. They know it all. There is no confusion. So even when Jesus walked on the de- on earth, the demons said, have you come before our time? They all know a time is set. Okay, so there is no confusion. Meaning, there is no fight of faith in the spiritual realm. Are you getting it? There is no fight of faith in the spiritual realm. Okay? There is only rest there. There God is not fighting anything. He's calm. He's cool. He's resting. Okay? Because Satan is already defeated. He's a defeated foe. So, faith is a journey. It's the only journey believers have. And we need clarity. And clarity comes from hearing. And we need power. That comes from grace. And we need the right reason why we do all these things. That comes from love. Okay? So, keep that all in mind. And when you go to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38, okay, we are starting today. So, okay, that's not the, but keep that in mind. Hebrews 10 and verse 38. My righteous shall live by, but if he, agar wo piche hathe ke ki, meri pran usse prasan nahi hogi. That's what, piche hatna, drawback. Meaning, there is no retreat in this walk of faith. You need to understand that in this journey of faith, the progress is only forward. There is no going backward. There's no retreat. There's no going backward in this journey. There's no going backward. You cannot go backward. There is no going backward in this journey. And there is, you cannot stand still either. You have to keep moving, keep moving forward. It's one of the fundamental facts. When you examine your faith, you may think, yeah, I am... I am okay. I pray. I read my word. I go for all the meetings. That doesn't mean you're moving. Okay, that doesn't mean you're moving. That could also mean you're stationary. Okay, and that is not a position with God. God says you need to move and you need to draw back. 
Okay? The pictures are all in the Old Testament. Old Testament gives you all these visible pictures. The Pharaoh and the army are snapping at Israel's heels. And God tells them, keep moving. Okay, keep moving. Keep moving. And it's a power of God as they keep moving that will open a way for them. There is no going back. Israel wanted to go back. He says, we can move back to what? And if they had gone back, they would have died in the hands of the Egyptians. Every time they wanted to go back, God did not allow them to go back because it meant a certain physical death. If you go back in this walk of faith, you can go to certain spiritual death. Nor are we called to wander in the barren desert. But, like we said, we are not meant to be dry and empty. We are called to be fertile, that's a watery place, and fruitful. But those who wandered in the desert, if you look at those who wandered, they were not moving forward, they were going round and round, they became dry, and they became empty, and they died. Okay? So today again we will look at the symptoms. How do you look at yourself? How do you examine your 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 own life? Am I dry? Am I empty? If I am, how do I fill myself and move forward? We look at a very familiar portion which we have looked before, and we will go to Second uh, Kings chapter six and verse one. Okay. The company of prophets said to Elisha, I'm reading from the NIV version, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small. Let us go to Jordan, where each of us can get a pole. Let us build a place there for us to live. Okay, spiritual application. Okay, look at two verses and let us apply it. These are physical stories given in the Old Testament. We have to learn, as the Spirit teaches us, how do we apply it in the new covenant in our life. We know the previous words, Gehazi left the presence of Elisha. Leprosy left. And as soon as Gehazi left, the next words in 6 1 says, they discovered the place was not big enough for them. Okay? Meaning it's only when flesh dies in us, we are not satisfied with our spiritual growth. If we are satisfied with our spiritual growth, that means flesh is alive and content. As soon as Gehazi moves, they are aware that there is not enough space. They are aware and they want to move, make more space. And we will see the patterns. It's not just one place. Throughout the Bible, the pattern is consistent. Okay, When Lot left, God told Abraham, look up and see this whole land is yours. Okay? When uh, uh, Abraham was circumcised at 899, when the flesh is dead, God literally visits him in his tent. He has another experience of, he is growing further. Okay? Then again you see, when Ishmael is sent away, Ishmael represents again flesh in Abraham's life. When Ishmael is sent away, if you look, read Genesis 21 and verse 22. You will see every time there is a dying of flesh or a putting away of the flesh, you will see there is a further revelation of God. There is there is another level of spiritual growth. Yeah, what does it say? At that time. At that time. The previous verse was talking the end of the history of Hagar and Ishmael. Okay? At, at, at that time. At yeah. that time, Abimelech and Fipol, mm -hmm. the commander of his army, said to Abraham, mm -hmm. God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God, 
Yeah, that's enough. That's enough. Okay. What is happening over there? Did you see what's happening? As soon as Ishmael is gone, the king of the land, the king of the land in which Abraham is living, the king of the land Abraham and his general come and make peace. So, Raksha, I want you to sit down. Okay? Down. Don't walk around. Okay? Sit down. As soon as, as soon as Ishmael is gone, you see the king comes and makes peace with Abraham. All these years, okay, he's now 100 years or more, 105, 110. We don't know how many years old he is. Let's say 110, 115 years old. As soon as it happens, what happens is the king of the land comes and makes peace. Okay, you're realizing as all flesh dies, God is moving in that place. He has more peace. He's more at rest. Even his enemies who should overpower him come and make peace with him. So you will see a company of prophets, they realize as soon as uh, Gehazi is gone, there is uh, what you call, there is space for growth. Okay, so please remember, there is space for growth. You will only realize... You, you are empty or that you need to grow more when flesh dies. But you will see what they say is, let us go to Jordan. Let's go where? Let us go to Jordan and cut down the trees and make a place for us there. So if you want to make more space for God in your life, you will have to cut down a lot of stuff. You will have to cut down a lot of stuff and build a place. You'll have to cut down. You'll have to cut down a lot of stuff. You'll have to get rid of a lot of stuff in your life. And until you're willing, okay, it is one thing to understand there is not much space. It is another thing to labor to make that space. Okay, Paul tells this all things very clear to Timothy. Timothy, yes, I know you are a good guy. You are a smart guy. You got a gift. You got everything. But you need to work hard. If you don't work hard on the word of God, you're going nowhere. Okay. Salvation is free. The rest is not. Even to the church in Laodicea, God says, buy from me. Buy from me. Okay. Buy from me. Okay. The five foolish virgins, when the knock came, they said, no, we cannot share our oil. They said, go and buy the oil because you will have to go through a lot of fasting and prayer and a lot of stuff if you want your anointing to increase it is not going to come free like that because whatever is given free people never value never value and a lot of things of god that comes to get the five books of the bible the law moses had to fast 40 days and 40 nights not with the people but in the very presence of god and then again he had to go a second time 40 days and the things of God don't come cheap. Things of God don't come cheap. So let it get very, very clear. If you really, really, really want to spiritually grow, you'll have to cut out a lot of stuff. YouTube and internet and a lot of junk on human, human stuff. You will have to make a choice. It's a choice you make in your life. And you will have to cut down these things and make space. There's a lot of labor involved. And we know from this story, it is at that point when they were cutting, they invited Elisha. That's the best thing to do. Invite God. Don't do anything on your own because it, you can't do it on your own. They invite Elisha. And when they were cutting, the axe head comes off. The axe, we have looked at that earlier. 
when the accent cuts off because yes you realize yes i want i realize there is empty space in my life i am willing to work hard i am willing to get rid and then suddenly you realize you are aware of your weakness okay the accent comes off until you actually get into spiritual warfare actually get into battlefield you are not aware of your weaknesses till goliath step did not step forward okay israel thought they were cats whiskers it's only when he stepped forward they all were aware of their weakness okay until you step forward into battle you will never 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 okay if the accent is gone your cutting edge is gone your sharpness is gone what good are you in the battlefield remember deborah's song 40000 soldiers in israel not one sword nor one spear 40000 soldiers okay what's the point in saying christians are 3 billion in the world how many of them really can fight numbers wise we are the largest yet the most persecuted community on planet earth are the christians who hold the military strength the christians who hold the financial chain the christians everything is in their hands but they are powerless because the church is powerless if you look in terms of everything in numbers in wealth in military power everything is in the so called christian nations yet powerless because if your accent is gone so the question is are we equipped do we have spiritual desires are we mindful aware of what god has given us what god has given us you know what that's what happened in king saul's you no know? timothy talks about having a form of godliness without power okay in first kings uh, sorry first samuel if you turn to chapter 13 this is what happened to king saul one year two year three years three years is a testing period at three years he blew a trumpet jonathan attacked he blew the trumpet as soon as he blew the trumpet scripture says in first i will read it out for you from verse 5 to 6 as soon as he heard the philistines heard the philistines assembled to fight israel with 3000 chariots 6000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore that's what happened they blew a trumpet and the enemy came as soon as the enemy came scripture says the men of israel saw that their situation was critical the army was hard pressed the hidden caves thickets among the rocks in pits and in cisterns okay and some hebrews even crossed the jordan to the land of god and galilee they blew the trumpet the enemy came everybody disappeared everybody disappeared that is when they realized they were dry and empty so dry and empty okay it's only when you actually start to pray get into this battle you will realize whether you are dry or you are full whether you are empty you will only know then okay see we are not studying scripture we are studying scripture we are not studying history we are not studying history that you learn in school akbar the great dead and gone is doing nothing jesus is alive that's why we study scripture okay so when you study scripture we are learning about a living god 
and we are learning about the tactics of the enemy. You need to know. You need to know who is for you and you also need to know who is against you. Okay? Why were they dry and empty? You know why, why they were dry and empty? That portion is very interesting. It's a very interesting portion that is there in the same passage, chapter uh, 13. I will read from verse 19 onwards. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel. Where? In the whole land of? Not in the whole land of Philistia. In the whole land of Israel. Why? Because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will come and make swords and spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines. Who did they go to? The Philistine blacksmith. For what? To have their plowshares, their mattocks, their axes. These are not battle axes. These are the little other axes to cut wood. Okay? Axes, sickles sharpened. And come to verse 22. On the day of battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. Only Saul and Jonathan. So what had happened? The Philistines were very smart. Who are blacksmiths, spiritually speaking here? Blacksmiths are the people God has entrusted in the kingdom of God, pastors and teachers who train God's people for battle. Who train God's people for battle. The Philistines were very smart. What did they do? They took out all the Philistines. And they substituted the blacksmith. And they substituted the blacksmith with their own blacksmiths. So what are they teaching? These blacksmiths are doing. They are only teaching them to do what helps the Philistines. Meaning they will teach you only about prosperity and not about fighting. All the instruments they are sharpening are agriculture implements. But when the harvest comes, the Philistines take it away. And that's what Haggai, in the book of Haggai, God says, you worked hard, right? You worked hard, right? But you got bags with holes in it. You are neither winning your battles, you know, you, you, you got fooled. You got fooled, he says. You got fooled. If the Philistine blacksmiths will only sharpen your agriculture implements, meaning they will only speak to you one kind of a message, which is good for a natural life, but will make you cowards in the battlefield. Fearful. That's what happens. Fear, worry, doubt, anxiety. You have no capacity to really, really fight. No capacity, he's saying. That's what happened to Israel. So there are lessons here to be learned. Lessons here to be learned. Okay? So now we go back to Second Kings chapter 6. What came off? The accent came off. The accent came off. Okay? Accent came off. Now here is a prophetic insight. They are planning to grow. They are planning to advance in the spiritual realm. For us, spiritual realm. And the prophet goes with them. The prophetic presence is there with them. And when they start removing the obstacles, the first thing they realize is the accent is loose. It comes off. The accent is restored. Spiritually speaking, in a miraculous, supernatural way, it is restored. Okay? Lift it out, he said. And the man reached out his hand and took it. So they have a supernatural encounter. They get the accent back. That is verse 7. And immediately read verse 8. What does verse 8 say? Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, mm. he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such a yes. case, what does that scripture say? Then the king of Syria, the king of Aria, came to battle. 
so these are why is god's word put in that order it's to teach us not to teach us history because historically it doesn't make any difference to us what difference does it make something that happened three years three thousand years ago it is irrelevant to us spiritually it makes the minute you got your battle accent back and you're back into clearing the stubble in your life and you're allowing god to increase you spiritually the enemy comes to fight you the enemy is not going to be still that's why after a verse 8, uh, 7, the narrative says the king of Israel came to fight. And you need to know, you need to know that this is going to happen. Meaning, we keep on telling you, as soon as you're baptized, the battle moves you to another level. As soon as you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, the battle. As soon as you're serious about fasting, the battle begins. Every time you decide to move into the spiritual realm, the enemy comes, the battle will come. And scripture says, what happens is, Israel is being led by a blind leadership. They have no clue how to fight this. But thank God, there is a man of God there. The king has no clue. But the prophet has. So verse 9 says, the man of God sent word to the king of Israel. Okay. Israel is being led Israel in the form of the church is being sent, led by a blind leadership. And they escaped only because there was a man who could see into the spiritual realm. He could see into the spiritual realm. He kept warning. 9 to 10 will say, he kept warning. Don't go there. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Now That's the only warning we can give. But we are not like in the physical realm. If people don't take that warning, what happens? They run into trouble run into trouble. Often people say, don't do this, don't marry that one, don't do. But people, if they take it, good for them. If they don't take it, if the king hadn't taken, he would have gone into captivity. But the king listened. So you will see the enemy is, it's not once, not twice. He wanted many times and the enemy is mad. The enemy is mad. He says, who is letting them all know all these things? Okay, We are not looking at all that part. We are just studying this portion connected with what we are studying now, how do we come out of this dryness? How do we come out of this emptiness in our spiritual walk? So, you know, Paul prays, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open our eyes. Here is one man with open eyes who saves a nation. And the nation is not grateful. The nation is not godly. The nation is not anything. But God still loves his people because of the covenant he has made with Abraham. Okay. And we also know. After that, when he knows, somebody tells him, there is a prophet over there. He sees what you are speaking in your bedroom. He hears what you are saying. He's able to see. He sends a vast army to capture Elisha. Okay? And when that happens, scripture says, the serv- he's got a servant. This is, a, this is a sad thing. Elisha has a servant who is walking with Elisha, but doesn't see into the spiritual. He has no revelation. Yes, he has no revelation. He's walking with the most anointed man on earth and is yet seeing only the carnal. Judas is walking with Jesus and is only seeing the carnal and not seeing the spiritual. Okay? This servant, we don't know if it's Gahasi or somebody else, he's walking with Elisha and is not able to see. So he's terrified. He's frightened. Okay? And this is where you have to see in verse 16, the prophet's answer is, don't be afraid. Fear not. Fear not. What he says is, those who are with us is more than those who are okay. 
And this is what Paul will also say in Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? And which is, which is always, even in terms of numbers, numerically, those who are for us, two-thirds of the angels are with God, and God is with us. So those who are for us, unless you see in the spiritual realm, you will always think we are a minority. But we are never a minority. God's kingdom is never a minority. It's always been a majority. So when humans on the physical realm take a stand for God, they are always standing in the spiritual realm with the majority and not with the minority. So Elisha says, you know, those who are for us is more, you're doing in the physical realm. I am seeing in the spiritual realm. And he prays a simple prayer. He says, Lord, open his eyes. So that should be our prayer. Lord, open our eyes. There are two things that happen over there. And this is this is how you learn to fight your battles. Constantly we pray this every every day. Open our eyes and close their eyes. Open our eyes and close. That's what he prays. Lord, open his eyes and close the eyes of the Syrians. Close the eyes of the Syrians. Okay, this, I, mean, I know literally it has happened in my life when I was in difficult situations moving into places where I was not allowed to move through this check post. And I still hear vividly the Spirit of God saying, if I can make blind eyes see, I can also make seeing eyes blind. Okay, seeing eyes blind. Like, I, I just saw for a second, you know, the last last Sunday at the service, there were a couple of people who came up, uh, Americans, who came up to the seat. They have never seen me, but they know my voice. And they were downstairs and they that's Pastor James. We need to go up. They all listen, wherever they are from. They said, that's Pastor James. Let us go up and listen to him. Okay. They have never met me, and I didn't meet them also because I was busy with the Indians. So, no, they left by then. Okay. You see, you need to know there is something that is like Vijay and Sammy were saying. You need to see, we have our internet. Nobody knows how many listens. We have our WhatsApp. It just goes and goes and. What we have podcast. Podcasts are dedicated listeners. You subscribe. We have 13,800 people regularly listening on podcast. Okay. On podcast. Okay. So all things are done by faith. All things are done by faith. But faith also sees. And faith also applies these spiritual principles. Okay. That we say, Lord, open my eyes and let the eyes of my enemies be blinded be blind because there's so much occult happening demonic happening over there and we have to learn okay but you will see what he does is that he leads the enemy because in this case it is physical he says he leads them the king asked should i kill them he said no have in your hands lead them to samaria feed them nicely and send them away okay send them away meaning we do not fight flesh and blood they are not our enemies. We feed them. We are kind to them. Because all the social ministry of the church is because we don't see either Hindus or Muslims or any community as our enemies. They are in people who we need to feed and be kind to them. Okay? Because it's the kindness of God that brings people to repentance. So we are, they are not our enemy. Our enemies are spiritual. But scripture now says after that, okay, the enemy goes, eats well and goes. But scripture says, after, if you come to verse 24, after, read, yeah. Afterward, Ben-Hadar, king of Syria, mustered his entire army mm-hmm. and went up and besieged Samaria. Yeah, now it is not attacking Samaria. He came back after a season, the enemy comes back. Even Jesus, scripture says, after that wilderness test, the, the enemies left him for a season. 
okay for a yeah for a season for an opportunity we will come back okay but this time he come back attack is different he's not attacking he has besieged him okay he's besieged meaning he has surrounded okay he's besieged him and because he's besieged what has happened there is great verse 25 says there is great famine in the city there's famine okay so if you're facing famine the signs of famine is you are dry and you are empty. If you are facing famine in your life, spiritually you are dry and you are empty. Remember, you have been besieged. Okay? You have been besieged. Meaning, he somehow deceived you to cut off the source of your supply. The source of supply is the Holy Spirit and the living word of God. He has cut it off. Okay? Look out. For the symptoms, all the doctors sitting over here will tell you. Diagnosis is as important as treatment. Okay, like now all these days when people have fever, they'll say wait for three days. Three days. Because this thing, what it is, if it is dengue, wait for four days, five days, then do the blood test, no point. Because if you do it the first day, second day, it will not show. Diagnosis is as important as the treatment. Okay, so when you look at these symptoms, am I dry? Am I empty? Here it says, Ben Haddad came and besieged, and the result of it was there was great famine. What is he done? He's cut away their supply, no food, no water. Okay, and diagnosis. Let's look at the symptoms of what happens. Scripture says, yeah, a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver, and a quarter of a cab of seed pods or dove's pods for five shekels. Two things happen over there. That's how you look at that's how you look at the 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 symptoms mentioned over there. Scripture says in this particular place how we study and how we apply. The first thing it says people are eating donkey's heads. Okay? When there is famine okay now you'll say, no, I'm not eating donkey's head. I usually have mutton. <laughs> but what is donkey connected with in the Old Covenant? It's connected with stubbornness. It's connected. And what did God tell Saul through Samuel? Stubbornness is a sin of iniquity. So the first thing to notice is that when you are besieged, when you are dry and empty, have I become stubborn? Have I become stubborn? Okay. And that's a very easy to make out. Everybody knows it's easy. Okay, so have I become stubborn? Okay, stubbornness is very dangerous in God's kingdom. And stubbornness. Why has Saul become stubborn? Because he's empty and he's right. The prophet, the greatest prophet of all time, in his time at least, is coming and pointing his finger at him, and he's still justifying himself. Still justifying himself. He's stubborn in his defense. Not me, not me, the people. And that's the thing. All that is stubborn. Okay. Stubborn. And we don't sometimes realize the excuses we make is a sign of stubbornness. Why are you dry? <laughs> I don't read my, but no, no. This one did that, and that one, and this one, and that is the reason. Okay. Why are you so empty? That one took away my water pot. I called this one to pray, but never picked my call. No. You don't, you understand how you read stubbornness. 
okay, how you read stubbornness. So the first thing you see is when Samaria is besieged, scripture says they started. That's why these things are, it could have, it could have just said that they started eating animal heads. Then we missed the spiritual meaning. We missed the spiritual meaning. Instead it says they were eating donkeys head. On the other hand, if it was written they were eating lamb's head. The meaning changes completely. Meaning changes completely. Okay? Meaning changes completely. And second, what is written over there? Okay? The doves. Cab. Okay? Droppings. Meaning they are not eating the droppings. But in that droppings will be part of what the dove ate, which is not digested. Okay? So, now why is it written dove's, dove's dropping? There are so many, so many birds which eats. Because dove symbolizes the Holy Spirit. So you are living in the past activities of the Holy Spirit and not aware, not at all conscious about what he is doing today. Doing today. You are living in the past. The Holy Spirit has already moved from that area and that place. He is doing something new now. With the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's comparison Jesus himself makes is with the wind. And one thing about the wind, he said, you don't know where the wind comes from and where the wind goes. All you can do is Bend to the wind. If you are stubborn, it will pass you by. If you bend, it will use you. Bend to the wind. I think that's a good title, no? Bend to the wind. <laughs> okay? So here what is happening is there are two things that is being mentioned over there. One is stubbornness. Am I stubborn? Two, am I only talking about the past? Oh, I remember in 19, 1964 when God spoke to me. I remember when. What about the present? What about the presence? Because remember, the Spirit of God does not produce stubbornness. He produces sensitivity. He makes you more and more sensitive to the Word of God. Okay? The Holy Spirit makes you more and more sensitive to the Word of God so that you are quick to change, quick to repent, and quick to listen, quick to obey. Okay? Quick to obey. Sensitive spiritually, not emotionally. If emotions do not bring change, it is the greatest deception that you... You see, Esau cried, but he did not change. And never, I don't think anywhere it is written, Jacob cried. But he kept changing. Okay, Jesus cried. But he didn't have to change. It's interesting if you look at tears in the Bible. Jesus cried and he never had to change. Esau cried and he never changed. And Jacob never cried. Okay, so please don't confuse emotions with sensitivity. Sensitivity is connected with the spirit. With the spirit. Okay, sensitivity is cunning. Because you can be like Esau, shedding tears and be absolutely stubborn in pursuing your own way. Stubborn. And that's what Esau was. He cried, but he was very clear. After my this thing is over, I want to kill my brother. Very stubborn in his pursuit, what he wanted. Okay? So you will see, Samaria is besieged and Israel is cut off. 
Israel. There are men and over there is cut off. They have no access to food, no access to water, two symbols you need for life. But you remember how Israel's history began? Jericho was cut off by Israel. Nothing would come in or nothing would go out. How Israel began and how Israel has ended. Now the enemy has cut off Israel and nothing can come in. And God says, do you remember how you began? You kept the enemy on the bay. He was more frightened of you. Now you are frightened of him. Do you know your beginning? Do you know where you have reached in your spiritual walk? Where have you reached? Where are you? Are you more fearful today or the enemy more fearful of you today? <coughs> are you blocking him or he is blocking you? Because scripture says, submit to God and resist the devil. He shall flee from you. Is he fleeing or you flee? Because this is how you look at your spiritual growth. You, there, is, there cannot be a status quo in this. You cannot accept a status quo because accepting status quo in in the walk with God is very, very dangerous. Very, Like it is said, the only thing to do with a frog to kill it is put it in cold water and put it in simmer. If you put a frog into hot water, it will jump out. But if you put it in cold water and put it on the gas stove and sim, it will sit there and die. It will never jump out. It will never jump out. Without realizing, the temperature simply goes up, up, up and it dies. The simple thing for a man of God to die is to be, do nothing. It will simply die. So, so there is, n- no, there is stillness in the spiritual man, but there is always warfare. Because the so scripture is asking, do you see where Israel began? And where Israel has reached now. When Israel began, one one generation wandered and died in the wilderness because they were empty and they were dry. Another generation was full and fruitful and they kept the enemy on the bay. The enemy couldn't come out or go in. They choked them. Okay, so. And then the second thing we looked at was they were eating the cab, the Holy Spirit. Okay, And are we living in the past or are we living in the present? So two questions. First, now we examine, am I stubborn? Am I stiff-necked spiritually? Am I living in the past? Or am I living in the current move of the Holy Spirit? Because the, Holy, the problem with the Holy Spirit is, if you don't move with the Holy Spirit and try to be where he was, we have heard about Abraham. Okay, Take your son or your only son, and I will show you a mountain. That means your ears have to be open. He knows three days later, he will hear. So three days later, he heard, that's the mountain. There are many mountains, but that's the mountain. And he goes up there, he makes his, ties up, lifts this thing. But if he doesn't hear again, then he kills. But if he hears, his future is, okay? Now when Lot was brought out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says, brought out, wife and children are brought out, and the angels say, go up to the hills. That's where God wants him. He says, no, that is too much for me. There's a little town over here, let me go over there. Zohar. And he says, okay, fine, go there. And for his sake, they spared that out. Scripture says, after everything is over, judgment, everything is over, he goes to the hills. But now the Holy Spirit is not there anymore. So what is there? The powers of darkness are waiting for him there. Because he's already out of time. Spirit has moved. Moved. Now what he goes, he goes into demonic possession. He creates Ammon and a Moab. Okay, so you need to be very, very sensitive about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit keeps on moving and he wants us to move with him. That's why all the warnings in the Bible are connected with the 
Holy Spirit. Okay, Holy Spirit. So that's what happens over there. The two questions you ask, am I stubborn? Am I living in the past move of the Holy Spirit or am I aware and sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Second thing you look, uh, third thing you look, because we are looking at signs, okay? We are looking at, we are checking ourselves. We are not checking anybody else. We are checking ourselves. Verse 26 says, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him. That is the 626, okay? Help me, my lord, the king. The king replied, if the Lord does not help you, where can I get help from? Meaning there is a sense of helplessness. There is a sense of helplessness. Is there a sense of helplessness? When you are disconnected from God, you are helpless. You are helpless. That's why Romans 5, 1 and 2 is so important. We are justified by faith, therefore we have peace with God. Our past is under the blood. And we stand today in grace through faith. Today we have access to grace. We have access to the throne room of grace. We have access to the spirit of grace. So you are not desperate. You know the problems today is more than yesterday's, but you are not desperate or helpless because you know you have access. The problems are not going to get less. They are only going to get more. Why? Because the Bible says so. But God says there will be, you have always access to grace. But here you see the leadership over there, the king, or in the terms, you as a person, or you as the head of the family, whatever it is, you are helpless. There is a desperation. So these are signs. What is the signs? That you are cut off. You are cut off. You are cut off. Okay? And then let, let me tell for the young people sitting over here. The other problem for the young people is that you are not aware of any of these things, but you like, you love donkey's head and uh, dove's poop. You love it and you are enjoying it. You are not even aware of who is beseeching you. You are not even aware if the the Ben-Hada takes over, you will become, you will be executed. You will be dead or you will be slaves. You are not even aware because you are enjoying the donkey's head and the dove's poop. Okay, that is the, the, the other extreme in which people can go into. And okay, he is absolutely helpless. The king is helpless. But you look, fast forward into the new covenant and go in, you don't have to read, go into the book of Philippians and look at a man who is lying in prison, who tells us, I can do all things through Christ Jesus, who, he's not helpless at all. His physical situation is not making him helpless at all. Or Paul and Silas lying in the prison in Philippi, they're worshipping, they're not helpless at all, they have access so what, what God is, that's what I said, the key factor is always worship. Has your worship gone? Has your worship gone? Are you, are you worshiping more? Has your worship increased? Because worship is the ultimate sign of the child of God's liberty. Liberty. Okay, everywhere in the world you know, everybody who in the world who is happy, they sing. Sing. The child of God is always happy because he is, no, he is free. Nothing can the devil do to him anymore. He's free. So you cannot take the soul. That's why God tells Jeremiah and Jeremiah tells the people, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Because these are old covenant, this thing, but we are talking about the new covenant. Why does his song go? Here, nobody is singing. It's a desperation of the king. Like the king is desperate. He says, I am helpless. I am helpless. And the second sign, he says, what does he say? Where can I get help from? From the threshing floor 
or the wine press. So what does that mean? Both the threshing floor, that is sign of the flower, and the wine press, both are empty. Neither there is the word, nor there is the Holy Spirit. Both are gone. You read the word, and it is empty. You feel nothing. You shut it. It doesn't affect you anymore. Because the spirit is in there, and the word is in there. The living word is in there. The living spirit. So what he says, this, these are all symbols. The threshing floor, or the or the wine press. So you feel you are dry and empty. Okay? Please remember, look out for these signs. Because these signs are very, very important. Because Jesus said, you will never be tested by anything that is too much for you to bear. And whenever you are tested, you will always have a way. You know what the way is? You know what that way is? You remember Second Peter chapter 1, we read on Sunday morning. He has given us his exceedingly great promises through which you partake of the divine nature of God and escape the corruption that is in the world that comes through. So when you are facing trouble and yes, you realize you have been besieged, but the Holy Spirit brings you a living word as a promise and you stand on the promise and you're free. Stand on the promise. That is how scripture works. The Holy Spirit brings us. That's what Jesus is in the wilderness. He's hungry, thirsty, 40 days. And he's being tested. If you are the son of God, immediately the word of God comes as a promise. Man shall not live by bread alone. That's how you know. It's, it's God who allows this siege to happen so that he can test us. That we will not go in the way of all flesh. All flesh. That we will have a living promise. We hold on to the promise. We confess a promise. We sing our way through. And like Paul and Silas, they sang their way out of the prison. They literally sang their way out of the prison. Okay, that's how you do. And they have no promise. Absolutely, they have no promise. You will see they have no promise. And you come back over there and you will see they have no promise. And then he asked her, look at the other symptom. He asked her, what's the matter? She answered, this woman said to me, give me your son so that we may eat him today. And tomorrow we will eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. And the next day I said to her, give me your son so we may eat him. But she has hidden him. The famine is so severe that your future is being consumed. Your future is being consumed. The next generation is being consumed. The future is being consumed. Famine is so severe because you have no capacity to fight. The next generation is being consumed. Okay? Or, Paul will say in the book of Galatians, stop consuming each other. It's called spiritual cannibalism. Spiritual cannibalism. You will see that that's one of the things that happens in churches. What happens in churches? What happens is churches have gone stationary because there is so much politics over there. Now, I'm telling you honestly, one thing I always have prayed to all through this year is that if there is politics, either solve it or get them out. Because this church will move. This church will now, I did not leave everything to have a dead church. No, Lord. I want a living church that will keep on moving. Either solve it or take them out. Because this will not be stuck down by politics. And you will see most churches. Okay? 
are stuck down by politics. Nothing happens. So they have just a symbol of cottage meetings and prayer and fasting, but nothing is happening over there. Nothing is happening over there. Because politics, what is politics in a church? It's spiritual cannibalism. Each one eating each other up. Eating each other up. And that's what's happening over there. Look at these signs. Look at these signs. I'm not saying these things will not happen. Bible says God will allow these things to happen. Otherwise, how God says in the New Testament, how will you know who is true and who is not false? He says, I will allow these things. This is all a test. But how do you react to this thing is your test for you. How do you react? Adam, do you buckle under pressure? You quit? You run? What do you do in these situations? Everything is there in the Bible. They were consuming each other. And the next sign you see is that you will see is what this woman says. People want you to do something for them which they will not do for themselves. Okay? Which they will not do for themselves. That's called dependency. You, we will eat your son today and tomorrow we will eat your... But what happened? They ate the other one's son and when it came to this thing, so no, I'm, I'm keeping mine. Thank you for your son. It tasted pretty good. You want others to do for you what you won't do for yourself or for others. You want everybody to pray for you. But the question is not that. Do you pray for others? Do you pray for others? You want others to help you. But do you help others? When you are troubled, you complain, nobody called me. But the question is, do you call anybody? These are all symptoms. Understand spiritual symptoms when siege is taking place, when you become dry. Because like I said, if you don't know symptoms, you do not know how to treat the disease. How to treat the disease. And here the symptoms are all very clearly mentioned over there. Okay? And look at the response of the helpless man, the king over there. Okay? When he heard this, verse 30, the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes and he went along. He's not doing anything. He tore his robes and he went along. What's the point of tearing your robes and going along? And read the next part. It's interesting. And the people looked at him. He had sackcloth on his body. And what did he say in verse 31? Ah, he said, let the Lord do to me what I am planning to do to Elisha. I'm going to take his head off. You tore your robes. You've been wearing sackcloth with a sign of mourning. Mourning and murder in the same man. Did you see that? It's a contradiction. His mourning... Meaning he's got sackcloth. That's only when the people realize he's got sackcloth underneath. Because sackcloth in the Old Testament is a sign that you're mourning over what is happening. But what's in your mind? Murder. Murder. That's what Paul talks about um, Timothy in the last days. Perilous times will come where people will have a form of godliness but no power. He's got a sign of mourning but he's got anger towards the man of God. Which is interesting. Ahab's anger was directed at Elijah. This king's anger was directed at Elisha. And none of these people are responsible for anything that is happening. Now, contradiction, what we say in English is misdirected. Your anger is misdirected. Okay, how do you know? Watch your words. 
I don't care. I don't care. Okay, now we can't kill anybody, but we say it. I don't care. And in our, with our tongues, we have murdered. And we end up dry and empty. Okay? And then we look at the next verse, which is interesting. I love that verse. What does it say? Ah, oh, that's enough. Loudly, Pastor Vijay. You have Alicia a loud... And that's enough. Alicia was? Sitting. sitting. And his elders were? Sitting with him. Did you see that? In the midst of all, this army has besieged the city. The whole city is in, in chaos. There is no food. There is no water. People are becoming cannibals. The king is doesn't know what to do. In the middle of that, the man of God and his elders are sitting there quietly. They are at rest. They are at rest. They are at rest. And that's why the Bible says in the New Covenant in Hebrews chapter, the most important thing a believer who act of faith is, you have to labor to enter into his rest. All these things are happening. So what are you doing? I am at rest because I know my God is in control. And you cannot be in control unless your eyes are open to the truth of God's word that God is always in control. He has seen the end from the beginning. This is the end of history and this is my end. And I am not going to get moved by all these things. I am going to be still and allow God to move. You know, God to move. That is that is the greatest sign of faith that God is looking for. Because the thing is that if you are not at rest, God cannot speak to you. God cannot speak to you. Elijah heard to go to Ahab. Elijah heard to go to Kerith. Elijah heard to go to Zarephath. Elijah heard to go to Caramel. Elijah heard at Caramel. But when he ran, he did not hear. He did not hear. Whenever he was at rest, he heard clearly what he should do, what he should do, what he should do, what he should do. But when he was restless and he ran, he didn't hear. He did not hear. And then the angel had to come and wake him up, feed him, drink, sleep, rest. And they said, go walk 40 days. You need a 40-day therapy before you can hear. Okay. 40 days, literally, detoxing. 40 days in silence, he had to go up there. And then God had to speak to him in a whisper. before he, A man who heard very clearly before he could hear. So God says, if you want to hear in all your... It's a labor. The greatest labor a child of God has to is to be still is to be still. Look at, is to be still. We can hear, they are at still. Elisha is still. He is sitting and the elders are sitting. That's why scripture says, God's children are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Now, I know it's an old illustration which I gave you, but uh, let's re- uh, recap it once again. Like, you know, if you were to go, like, let's say for Hyderabad, if you were to go to high-tech city and all, you see these huge, huge, massive buildings, 20 floors, 25, I don't know what is the highest in Hyderabad, and Mumbai has high, New York has higher and all that. All that looks so huge until you take off in the plane. Then you take off in the plane and you go higher. All this start looking this size. Smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And God says, unless you know in your spirit to be seated with Christ and look down, your problems will always be big. I can't do anything about it. When you're seated with him, you will realize how tiny they are. Because, not because where you are seated, but with whom you are seated. 
whom you are seated. With whom you are seated. And that's what he's talking about. They are seated. Why is Elisha seated? Why is he not moved? Because they are actually after him. The first head the king wants is Elisha's head. It's not the king's head. It's Elisha. You know, this is the troublemaker here. It's, it's, Ahab was not searching for everybody. Ahab was searching only for there were 7,000 others who had not bent their knees to Baal. Hundred of them were there in a cave hidden by Obadiah. So another 600, 900, 6,900, we don't know where they were. Elijah, Ahab wasn't after anybody. He was after one man who could see into the, into the spiritual realm, who was connected with God. So there could be so many people around. The devil is not after them. Because they are not a threat to his kingdom. His threat to his kingdom are those who are connected with the Holy Spirit and moving with him. Because he knows they are. So Elijah is dangerous. Ahab is after Elijah. This king is after Elisha. And he sent an entire army to get one man. And now he's besieged the city. Okay, so there. Be still. And what does scripture say? He's sitting there quietly. And uh, uh, let's leave that portion. Okay, about what the king's attitude and Elijah already, Elisha already sees what the servant messenger will say. Okay, look at 7 verse 1. But Elisha said, hmm. hear the word of the Lord. Yeah. You see, in the midst of all this conflict, you know all this, what you realize is that through it all, nobody went to Elisha. Nobody went to Elisha. The king did not send anybody to Elisha. What should we do? And the messenger is actually going with a threat. With a threat. And Elijah told his elders, all of you, when he comes, hold him down. Hold him down. Okay. That's what he actually says. He says, hold him down. Okay. And then he says, here, this is the word of the Lord. He has the word. That's the word. He says, you don't have to, you don't have to be afraid. He says, there is a word. He says, hear the word of the Lord. He says, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow. A sea of flour will sell for a shekel, two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. But the question is, whatever you're going through, do you read the last two chapters of the book of Revelation? I always read. I love those two last chapters because it makes you sleep in peace. (laughs) Absolutely. It is the most restful chapters. If you are sleepless, read Revelation 21 and 22 and go to sleep. That is the end of the book. Because the Bible is a very interesting book because it begins by saying, in the beginning, God, hallelujah, in the beginning, you were there, you started all this. In the end, come Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So he began, he will come back and finish it off. Okay, so it gives you incredible peace. Okay, it it gives you incredible peace. And then the question is, when the word of the Lord comes, do you believe? Do you believe is a question. The question is, the word of the Lord comes. Be still. Move on. Don't worry. I'm taking you. Don't doubt. Don't reason. Don't be anxious. Get rid of this. Get rid of that. Take this. Hold on. Whatever the word of the Lord is coming, question is, do you believe? Do you believe? And read the next verse. Pastor Vijay. Verse 2. Then the captain, on whose hand the king leaned, said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, would this thing be? Eat. Okay. So who said this? What is it written? Who said this? Uh, read that properly. Yeah. So the question, next question is, whose arm do you lean on? 
Whose arm do you lean on? That's your friends who you lean on, your closest. Whose arm do you lean on? The one you lean on is the counsel you receive on earth. Whose arm do you listen to? Whose arm do you lean on? It's a question. The off, this is a man who will speak to the king. And this is the man on which the king leans on. And the question God asks is that, okay, the word of the Lord has come. And the question is, whose arm do you lean on? Because that's the next person who will hear about it. Whose arm did you lean on? Ten years into the promised land, Abraham leaned on. God told him, you're going to have a child. And he leaned on Sarah's arm. And Sarah said, Hagar is here. Whose arm do you lean on? Whose arm? Moses' arms were tired and his arms leaned on Aaron and Ahar. Jonathan, when 600 men, soldiers and King Saul was sitting under a terebinth tree, if I am right, hiding, Jonathan had an armor bearer on whose arm he could lean on. He said, why do you want to sit here like this? Let's go. And he said, whatever you say, my Lord, let's go. Whose arm do you lean on? Whose arm do you lean on? Whose arm do you lean on? And the arm that you leaned on, has that arm changed? Has that arm changed? Has it changed? You know, there was a man in the Bible who's very interested. And he uses the same term. When he came to Israel, he was a leper. He was a Syrian leper. He had an encounter with Prophet Elisha. He received the word of the Lord. First he was a little stubborn. He received the word of the Lord a second time. He dipped himself seven times in the book, uh, in the brook of Jordan. He got healed. And when he is going back, he offered money, gold. Prophet, I don't want anything of yours. Then he made a request. Can I take a mule with two bags of earth? Earth. Two bags of earth. What do I say? He said, can I have two bags of earth? The reason is, he came as a pagan. He's going back as a believer to an unbelieving land. And all of them offered sacrifices. He was saying, even the earth of that land is not consecrated to offer sacrifice to your gods. I want some earth from here. You know why? Because he says, and he says later. Then, one more second request. When I go with the king to the temple, I have to go to the king to the temple. And he says, my arm is the one the king leans on. When he leans on my arm, when he bends, protocol demands, I should also bend. But forgive me. But it is not the same arm the king is going to bend. Because before the king goes to the Gentile temple, here is a man who would have worshipped living God on an altar from earth, from Israel. Because the arm has changed. The arm has changed. Can you imagine a Syrian general, incredibly rich, prosperous man, going back with two bags of earth? How your value system changes when you encounter earth, encounter the living God. Here is this man offering the man of God gold and silver and clothes, and he says, I don't want it. And then he says, can I take two bags of mud from Israel? Now, we don't need all that. People go to the Holy Land and bring water and earth and mud and all. All that is irrelevant. That's all physical. It's irrelevant. I mean, it, it makes no difference at all. The earth and the fullness belongs to God. Okay. Now, even Paul says, I don't want to know him in the flesh. I want to know him in the spirit. So, 
you know, I see all this junk happening all over India, Israel flag and all. Shofar, I can still understand it. When you blow the shofar during worship, you can feel a presence. Okay, but that's okay. But a lot of things, they just become Israelites. When God is trying to save them, we are trying to become like them. Okay, so the question is, whose arm do you lean on? The arm of flesh or the arm of the spirit? Okay. So ask these questions tonight. Ask these questions tonight. Because these are this these are the questions God is asking us. Okay? Because faith is a life, faith is a walk, but you cannot do either if there is no battle. If there is no battle. And after three years of a man's spiritual life, actual born again life, God will open him to battle. God will open him to battle. God will open him to battle. He will open him or her. He will open him to battle because to see whether you, so that you and I know where our faith is. And then from there the battle continues and continues and continues till and at some point in our life at the end, Paul, like Paul said, we should be able to say, I fought the good fight. And you need to realize the fight is good. The fight is a good fight because these are battles we fight against powers of darkness so the first thing you have to look is that is my accent sharp which blacksmiths do i go to <laughs> who is my blacksmith does he only sharpen my instruments of prosperity or he makes my axe into a battle axe he tells israel you are my battle axe you are my battle axe. There are two axes, one to cut wood and one for battle. You are, He says, you are my battle axe. So who do I go to? Second thing, when the siege happens and God allows a siege around my life, am I stubborn or am I sensitive? That's the first thing to ask. Am I stubborn or am I sensitive? Am I going in my own way, still justifying or am I sensitive? Lord, why is this happening? What do you want me to learn? Where do you want me to change? How do you want my word life to change? How do you want my prayer life to change? How do you want my life to change? Third thing, am I living in the past where the Holy Spirit once moved? I can think of where God moved in my life, but there is nothing. Present is absolutely dry. Am I living on dow poop? What the Holy Spirit has rejected, not digested, but rejected out of his system. Am I living on it? Okay. Third, fourth, am I desperate? Am I hopeless? Am I helpless in that situation? Am I helpless? Am I consuming my future? Have I become a spiritual cannibal in my house? That's what happens when dryness comes. Husband and wife start eating each other up. Biting at each other. It's a sign of spiritual cannibalism. A spiritual cannibal. So when God says you are supposed to complement each other, okay, that you are supposed to be leaving and cleaving and becoming one, they're becoming multiples. Okay, they're tearing each other into pieces. Pieces are lying everywhere. Okay, God says no, no, okay, no. He says no. He says come together, become one because there is unity in that. And then the next thing you see is the threshing floor is empty, the wine press is empty. And then you say you have a sign of mourning, but also the murder in the heart. Mourning and murder doesn't go together. 
Okay, morning and murder doesn't go together. And you actually, your anger is misdirected. You are angry at people because you are angry at God. He's angry at Elisha because he's angry at God because they think God is your servant. A lot of people think that, why is God allowing all this? (laughs) As if God is supposed to serve you. (laughs) You are supposed to serve God. You are supposed to walk in righteousness. People get very mad at, uh, at God. Okay, it's because your whole, whole, and then they can't show it to God, so they, Hindus of course show it to God, at least Bachchan used to do in his movies, when he didn't get his answer, bang, he used to do the bell and walk out, okay, <laughs> he used to do that in the mandir, he was just showing his anger off, okay, but we also do in different ways, and finally you see, he's at rest, the prophet is at rest, the man of God is at rest, the woman of God is at rest, therefore they have a word. Unless you are at rest, God cannot. He wants you to bring out of the situation. And what brings you out of the situation is the living word. Living word. And you know, and you hear the word. So one of the primary things people of God has to do is labor. Not to make money. Labor to enter into his rest. Every day it's the first battle. If you win that battle, you win that day. If you lose that battle, you lose that day. I'm telling you, every day begins with a battle. Are you going to enter into his rest or not? That's what Jesus was doing. Went early in the morning to a secluded place, entered into his father's rest, came down, cool through the day. Though everybody was trying to kill him. From the king down to governor, down to the Pharisees, to the high priest, everybody is trying to kill him, but he's cool. Because he has entered into his father's rest. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. This is a constant check of our own, a spiritual checkup, Lord. Oh, Father. Because your people who hear, all of us, if we are dry and empty, we need to come out of this dryness because it is not meant. This dryness should be only for a season. Because Jordan is waiting for us. A fertile land is waiting for us, you said. A land flowing with milk and honey, Lord. They were not destined to wander in that wilderness all their life, oh God. Even Elijah, when he prophesied over that woman, he said, Your flower will not go dry. Your bin of flour will not go dry. Your jar of oil will not go empty until the rain comes, oh Lord. There was always an expectation of the rain coming on. The siege is for a season so that we will grow to fight this battle, O God. Fight this battle, Lord. Fight this battle, Lord. So that only men and women and children of faith can step forward and fight this battle. My prayer is, O Lord, this church will be a a battle-ready church. Even children will have a living faith a living word life and a living prayer life for God. And they will be at rest, not worrying, but hearing daily from the throne room of grace of God and making decisions in life accordingly, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Because the days ahead are going to be darker and more fierce, but those who have put their trust in their Lord, they cannot be shaken. You said to be steadfast and be immovable in our faith of God. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. The rest of the night we commit into thy hands, O Lord. We thank you, we praise you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.